Just making a short break to let you know that I'm offering my last masterclass of the year on November the 8th, and it's for free. It's called Five Step Process to Create a Portfolio Worthy Lettering Piece that attracts your dream clients, even if you're just studying. This training will be broadcasted live from my studio in Berlin, and during the live session, I will share with you my framework to create a professional-looking lettering piece that will help you attract dream assignments. This training is really important because once you create that first portfolio lettering piece that you're really proud of, everything changes. You build self-confidence, your peers start recognizing your work, and your dream clients start noticing you. Go to martinaflor.com slash masterclass to join for free. I hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Open Studio. I'm your host, Martina Flora, and in this show, I have honest conversations with artists, designers, and creatives to uncover their story and the specific tactics they use to build a successful career around their skills and the work they love doing. This is a special in-between episodes which serves as a recap of the episodes from the last month. It features a short clip of each conversation in one place so that you can jump around and get a feel for both the episode and the guest. And then you can always dig deeper by going into one of those episodes. For the full list of the guests featured today, see the episode description below, right below where you press play in your podcast app, or as usual, you can head to martinaflor.com slash podcast and find all the details there. Please enjoy. Episode 66, Karen Singh, the importance of authenticity, being a self-taught artist, imposter syndrome, the power of persistence, failing and succeeding, and epiphanies. Um, I want to go back to something that you said that you mentioned, you know, when I, when I look at your work, I can totally see what, you, what you're talking about, that is this simplicity, this, you know, um, kind of simple shapes and lines that come together and colors, right? So, and you mentioned that there was a seminal moment where people felt really compelled by this kind of imagery. Um, and it's still going on, I think, right? And I wonder if this is something that you pursued um, on purpose, or this is something that just happened. You were more drone, uh, uh, drawn to um, create this kind of artwork and you know, the, there was a market for it and suddenly both things met. Yeah, that's a good question because I think that for me, you know, I think I can only call it a seminal moment in hindsight. Mm. Only when I look back, I'm like, oh, actually, that was really good timing between what I was making and what became sort of in vogue, mm. uh, I guess, for lack of a better description. Um, but for me, a lot of that work came from a want to simplify and I think um, a want to reduce my work. Mm. I think. For me, whenever I feel a bit lost or, or confused or directionless, I've just found the best thing to do is simplify it mm -hmm. and to reduce because then you can concentrate on the few ingredients. And I think that, you know, when I first started working with pattern and, you know, these reduced color palettes that I could really focus on the composition and the color scheme and the elements within it. And um, I think prior to that, I was so focused on this, this, this kind of antiquated idea of the longer you spend mm -hmm. on a piece, the better it is, or the more detailed you, that something is, the better it is, which, um, to be honest, isn't like a mentality that like was compatible with me. Mm. Like uh, I'm, <laughs> I, I can kind of be impatient and 
you know, I can't spend a long amount of time on work. So I found that I just needed to kind of create work that suited my personality a little mm. bit more. And that was more a case of like, okay, well, you're impatient and you like simpler colors and don't necessarily have the, the um, interest in like hyper realism and details. So um, for me, it was just all about, you know, funny, quirky ideas and conveying them in really bold and simple ways. And, mm. um, you know, going back to your question about the seminal moment of that, you know, that cross section between it getting picked up and me making it, it was more a, a kind of the seminal part of that moment was that I had started making the work that reflected me the most. Mm. Um, and that's what felt seminal about it. It's that I wasn't trying to pretend to, you know, mimic some of my heroes as much. It was more that I had tried to represent myself and my personality in a visual style. And I think that's sort of where um, things started to pick up. Hmm. That's interesting because, you know, one would say that the more I work, the, the more I put effort into creating my art or my artwork, you know, the more value it has, right? And in, in your case, it was sort of the opposite when you started simplifying the kind of work you were doing and perhaps even spending less time at creating each one of the artworks. Uh, your well, Yes. Yeah, I would say that's, that's like, two, it's, two, it's twofold because it meant I could make more work. Mm -hmm. It meant that like I would finish work quickly, yeah. but it didn't, it didn't mean that I would make less. If anything, I made much more work back then mm. because I, I think I just got addicted to both the process and then also the satisfaction of completing something. So, um, yeah, to a certain degree, it was like, instead of spending, you know, three weeks on one piece, I would spend three weeks on 30 pieces That's great, and yeah. they would be much simpler. Mm. Um, but I would get, I would also, I think this the other thing is like drawing a line under a piece or a p image or whatever is, is really good because it, it, it adds a conclusion or finality to a piece It allows you to say, okay, that's done. I move on. What did I learn from that experience? Mm. And what can I, how can I iterate? How can I make it better in the next one? And I think by adapting to that style of working, it really just helped me, um, I guess just be, um, yeah, just develop the style a bit quicker rather than obsess over the, the kind of minutiae involved there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Kind of defining or finding your style through putting, having a lot of output, right? And kind of finishing up pieces so that you can learn from that and move on to the next one and do it better, right? So I want to move yeah. on to like, how do you, perhaps you can, you can, recall a story of how did you gain some of those clients or how did you got some of those stream assignments that you can see on your website and you can you can pick up on any of those <laughs> but um i just want i just i'm curious about the the background like the the backstage of that how did you get from you know getting that assignment just sitting on the, at your desk drawing in your computer and kind of yeah that's a great question again i think um Again, I think it's definitely a snowball effect mm. because, um, you know, I, I returned to freelance, I would say, so I had like two phases of freelance. One was not very successful at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, kind of after working at a, at a kind of agency, um, 
it kind of my, my understanding of work became better and I guess I had a bit more of a visual style by then that I was a bit more prepared to go to freelance mm. um, and um, yeah I think I think you know that second phase of freelance is definitely where the you know the balance definitely reached a tipping point where my freelance started to interfere with my studio job and I realized okay well this is a good place to be in mm. Um, I can safely kind of make that jump between those two worlds. Um, but there were definitely um, projects that came along during that period that said, hey, maybe this could happen. So um, it was a really, really simple, I want to say really simple, but I'm not trying to play it down. It was for Adobe, but it was like a, it was a really cool project for a, a campaign they were doing a really long time ago. And... Um, I, I, I still wish I knew how they found me, but I think that was like deep in my phase of like reduction and working with pattern. Mm. And I, and I, I would speculate that maybe it was also in the early days of Instagram. Mm. So I was, I had started posting my work on Instagram. Um, <laughs> it's funny cause I used to be like such an Instagram purist. I'm like, no, I only post photos on Instagram. <laughs> and then eventually I was like, screw it. I'm just going to start posting images, uh, illustrations on Instagram. And I think I was also there at a, at a point where, um, you know, it was still a relatively new medium hmm. platform that illustrators weren't necessarily on as much. Hmm. And I think you know, a couple of things happened at that time. I was sharing my work on Behance quite a lot. Mm. I was sharing my work on Instagram quite a lot. And Instagram was also trying to facilitate, you know, a creative community. So I remember getting featured by Instagram mm. and that sort of boosted my followers up. And um, I got a lot of followers back in 2000 and I want to say 15 or whatever, mm. 14. Um, and I think also at the same time, I'd started working with GIFs. So... I was posting on Tumblr a lot mm. and I got featured on Tumblr as well on their radar, which is like, you know, the, that thing that everybody sees. And so it was just, again, this idea of, I guess I was making, my output was really high mm. and I was sharing my work often and I was sharing it on a variety of mediums. So, you know, I could, I would maybe predict that probably Behance is where Adobe, you know, found my work and mm. then. Uh, through Adobe, then it was like another project for ASICs. And then um, I think, yeah, the kind of precursor is is definitely that one of the Adobe projects mm -hmm. where, you know, then it got featured on Behance. And then um, there was another project, which was for Sagmeister and Walsh, mm -hmm. which um, really kind of brought my pattern work into the foray and exposed everyone to this, or, or rather it brought that work to a broader audience. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and then, yeah, it just sort of started ballooning even more as I just continually, uh, like perpetually shared my work on as many mediums and platforms as possible and interacted with people as well. Mm. Tried to kind of, you know, people whose work I admired, I used to tell them I liked their work yeah. and just build kind of friendships as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, sort of haven't really answered your question in so yeah, many did. ways, I think, I think it's, it's a, it's a weird kind of thing to pinpoint, but yeah. you know, even I, but even to this day, like, you know, I got to do the Academy Awards last year, mm. um, which is which was unreal for me because uh, somehow every year I still, you know, I'll get an amazing project in and I'll be like, 
oh, this is it. I'm done. You know, I'm over. Like I've reached everything. Like, so for, for me, you know, at the point where I got the first job for Adobe, I was like, mm. oh, dream come true. And then, you know, Sagmeister and Walsh will, you know, this amazingly famous studio. And I was like, oh, this is it. And then, um, you know, you just keep going up this ladder and then, you know, got the Oscars email and I was, uh, I have this little subfolder in my, um, in my emails, which is just called like all time favorite emails. And I, <laughs> and I think that's, I keep that and I just kind of log the like really special ones where, you know, people who are really nice to you or, um, or, you know, just, you want to kind of capture a specific email and yeah, definitely the Oscars one was like one that went straight in there where they were like. Hey, do you want to like work with us? And I was like, oh God, I don't really know how I can go much. I don't know where this could go from here, but um, yeah, it's just snowballed. Episode 67, Petra Ericsson. The path to finding your call, pushing the introvert inside you, clearing the outrage, doing good work and being a professional. You had a, a few back and forth and trying to figure out whether that was architecture or acrylic painting or illustration. And I find it really interesting what you say about that working for illustration, like working or doing um, commercial illustration sort of brought some structure to you, right? Because mm. initially you had this idea of doing art or acrylic painting, which sounds like more in the line of fine art. Um, yeah, but yeah, of course, when you work as a as an illustrator for clients, then you have that structure, you have the deadlines, you have the briefings, you have some sort of boundaries um, that, you know, define a little bit the framework. Um, and of course, you can create personal work, but you always have that that structure around, which is really interesting. I never thought of commercial illustration as something that can actually give a framework to mm. your to your creative work. Yeah, no, and I feel like this is something that I've been thinking quite a lot about during these years of working as an illustrator that, yeah, for me, obviously not every client project, but but overall, I feel like I have learned so much mm. from these uh, client projects as well. Sometimes, mm. you know, just... Yeah, just having that structure of having to create within certain limits, which I like to, you know, play with sometimes in my personal work as well. But obviously, it's a lot clearer when the structure is set by someone else. And also just sometimes, yeah, sometimes being pushed a little bit more than I would push myself into testing something new and sometimes it doesn't work obviously and then it can be a little bit frustrating but then it's also really nice when a client yeah pushes you a little bit and it ends up being something that feels really good and that I then later continue exploring with in my personal work maybe mm. or yeah, so I feel like, yeah, I get, there's a lot of things that I do in my personal work that I take into my client work, but also the other way around. So you really finished nice. art school and mm. what came after? Were you just leaping into freelancing? Were you getting a job somewhere? What was your, your journey? So there? I had a couple of months 
when I did like a little bit of freelancing, uh, right after I finished this like design education. And then, um, then I started to applying to jobs in uh, different agencies in um, in Stockholm, but I didn't really find anything. Like it was a little bit tricky because of my kind of illustration heavy portfolio. Um, so it's. It took me a while to figure something that worked for me and in the end that was for like a company based in Malta, a Swedish company that was based there working with gaming and that was, you know, not the world where I had envisioned myself going to initially, but in the end things worked out really well for me in that... Uh, I think I came into this company, like this startup, when it was just 30 people there. Mm -hmm. So I got the chance to, you know, test a lot of things and get a lot of creative responsibility early on in a different way than I think it would have been if I would have come to like a traditional agency. Mm. Um, And it was like really high roof when it came to ideas that I felt like I could you know make any kind of suggestion for projects and stuff and people would listen and usually we could test things out but initially basically I was working on a big project where I was kind of illustrating uh, yeah parallel universe a different world with like planets and plants and these small little figures that lived in this planet that was part of this game and it's uh, pretty yeah, amazing it was really <laughs> you know it was a big learning curve for me and very different from everything i had done before yeah and and after this you you went you you went freelance or it took you a couple more jobs to actually do that this was uh, my only kind of creative fixed job but I was there for about uh, almost yeah almost three years Mm -hmm. though the last year I worked less hours uh, so that I could focus a little bit more time on my personal projects and then I had started doing a little bit of freelance work on the side that last year Mm -hmm. and and then I was actually in Berlin for a while because then I had escaped the yeah Malta became very small after a while so then I escaped to Berlin for a while and then continued on to Barcelona after that I see you have relocated a couple of times so I'm gonna dip deeper into that as well um later on so I'm gonna make a note right now and I'm gonna keep that for later um but the I just want to continue like the chronology of you know your path into um, freelancing. You were you know leaving art school, um, getting a job at a gaming company in Malta. You worked there for three years and you slowly started making, um, you know, building up your portfolio and your client base on the side. What was what led you to 
become a freelancer? What was the, the pursuit there? Why, why did you say one day, hey, I, I just want to start building up my freelance business? Mm. What were the motivations behind it? Was it I personal? It was, like a... was it time? Was it autonomy? Was it mm. doing more of the work you like doing? What, what was it? It was a mix of things. It was definitely, I, I definitely liked this idea of the autonomy, of being more in charge of my own time and and be able to choose a little bit better on like what I focused on and what I say, yeah, dedicated myself on doing. Um, but then it was also the just the, the creative expression part that. Like, as I mentioned before, that, like, in this agency, like, I had a great time, you know, creating things there, but it didn't really feel like my way of expressing myself. Mm. So also that to be able to just be more, more free and to, and to do a bigger variety of projects as well. Mm. Like, I'm... Uh, I have learned <laughs> that I'm, uh, I, I, you know, I think I have patience in certain things in life, but I have learned that I'm not great if I need to work on the same thing for a long time. Mm -hmm. If it's like a project that stretches over several months, I find it hard to keep my... Uh, interest and creative energy mm. up enough that then I need to yeah find other ways to kind of trick myself into in yeah into keeping that kind of energy in the project uh, so for me it was also a way to make it easier to yeah to have a mix of projects to be able to jump a little bit more quicker between different things episode 69 Jordan Metcalf. Turning your hobby into your job, auditing your creative career, pivoting, how artists become products, and experimenting and keeping it interesting. You were mentioning that you had this tipping point and you had a, a very supportive partner um, and you wanted yeah. to pivot into something that you enjoyed doing, right? Yeah, so, um, yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, at that point I kind of was like, Hey, let me try this freelance thing. And then I was kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and like the only stuff I'm going to put on the internet. Cause it was like the early days of Behance, um, when Behance was first starting out, um, oh, which yeah. was like a, a wild time. Uh, <laughs> and so I was kind of like, I'm just going to put this stuff online and see what happens. Cause this mm -hmm. is the stuff I'd love to be doing as a, as a job instead of maybe some of the stuff I've been doing for these studios and these clients. Right. So it's like, and and so then I, I put all these weird little type experiment things on and, and it was just so arbitrary looking back. But I mean, I guess it was just, again, it was sort of the early days of this. So it maybe it's fine that it was just unconnected to clients or anything. Um, but yeah, it was just, I, I put these little experiments online and then because again, I was lucky it was just the right time with the early days of Behance, I think was, you know, there were obviously a few of us, I think probably people like Eric were probably doing a similar thing at a similar time, like coming into this. Mm. Um, and so it just was this this kind of lucky situation of being there at the right time and so the Behance thing I got featured a couple of times which at that point too there were less people so it made it more visible 
and you know like a week or two into i guess putting the stuff online like sitting in my little house in cape town and you know i i got emails from from people from like nike and that kind of stuff just saying hey we would love to pay you to just make some graphics for nike like and at the time it was like absurd um, I, mean, it was, I was like what are you talking about um is this spam or <laughs> yeah it's just like nothing i ever could have really um predicted or imagined you know would be the situation and so i just was again i, I don't even think it was about me it was just really just luck um and right time right place kind of thing and so yeah i think it all snowballed from there you know i did some stuff in nike and it was really just like their their briefs were basically just like some pictures of my work plus a t-shirt mm. and plus nike or plus the swoosh you know mm. um and it was basically just like hey do whatever you do just like have fun make some weird shit um and i mean it's like a dream job right like yeah especially when you you're just starting out and you've yeah. never done this before i'd never like you know i didn't even know what to quote they're like oh just send us a quote for what to and i'm like i have no idea I'm like, this is dollars <laughs> you know i sent a, i sent this I sent some like amount to them as a quote and the guy like immediately responds like that's perfect and I was like oh did I just like way under quote like I don't know <laughs> um, so, so how was the how was the behind the scenes of that that one first um big assignment were you um asking friends or colleagues how to do this or were you even prepared to quote jobs were there really your was that this really your first job or the first job you were quoting um because i can imagine that you were you know you you wanted to launch your freelance career as an artist or designer and mm. you were already like setting up the things right you you had your your website um running and you set up this uh, behance oh, okay uh, um i didn't have a website i had a behance um <laughs> Were you doing no, client outreach or like connecting with some people and saying, no, hey. okay, dude, I, I knew nothing. Um, <laughs> and there was no social media. So it's, I didn't have like Instagram. I think like yeah. Facebook had like just come out like a year before in, in South Africa. It was just like really, it makes you sound really, knowledge. really, it makes you sound really, really old. <laughs> I'm, I'm very, very old. Um, but no, I didn't, I didn't know any better. And I think also just being in Cape Town again, like I didn't have a huge network of people that I could just reach out to and be like, yeah. Hey, cool. What do I do about this and this and this, you know, it was, yeah. a lot of it was just figuring it out as I went. Um, and so I think I'd done before the Nike job, I'd done like one other international job for mm. some like Belgian magazine mm. who wanted, um, I forget what it's called, but, um, like stereoscopic, maybe they wanted some typography that was done in that, in that thing where you wear the, the little blue and red glasses and then, it had dimensionality. Yes. So I, yeah. anyway, I think that was the only <laughs> other thing I'd done. But no, a lot of it was just figuring it out. And I think, you know, I, I think kind of honestly, these, uh, these clients like probably knew where I was coming from too. I think yeah. they just knew I was like some freelance dude in the middle of nowhere. And so they weren't exactly like expecting um, some extreme professionality probably. But mm. I mean, I think I approached the jobs professionally. Just I, th I think they probably thought it was funny that I was maybe trying to look professional with my quotes or invoices or whatever <laughs> versus yeah. like maybe being the system it's they would be normal um normally have but i guess i don't know just to not talk about this for like an hour i think what happened then is just that just created the snowball of um 
you know, getting the work, getting that work seen, you know, having the Nike swoosh on your portfolio at that time. I mean, yeah. still today, you know, it's like they're such like a big, um, desirable client to have. So yeah, I think having that just led to more of that. Um, and so, yeah, like I think just the lettering career almost just happened to me because I just, I think like a lot of other people it just was the zeitgeist of people getting interested in in lettering as illustration and maybe like the tools becoming I don't know maybe the tools lending themselves to like being useful for drawing letters I don't know what it was exactly but you know obviously there's like a few people who are probably around my age or um, came into this earlier days of this that um, were doing this in different places you know like Alex Richer and um, Jessica Hish and all these people who have probably yeah. been around for a similar amount of time or maybe even longer I don't know but um, yeah so I, th I think it just happened at this great time and and there was such like an early enthusiasm for it. Everyone is like excited about crazy typography, mm -hmm. and um, and so yeah, it was just this really fun thing. And I think getting paid to experiment was just really validating too, in terms of being like, hey, I can do this. I can do different things, yeah. and people will see it and recognize it as still something cohesive to me, as opposed to like having to have some defined style that's like always looks like this for people to know who I am. Um, and so yeah. yeah, I was I was really excited about it. I, I think that, I mean, it doesn't always happen that suddenly after two weeks of setting up your freelance uh, practice, you get an assignment from Nike. Uh, but there's definitely, and this is not something that I would say, I would recommend everyone starting new to just aim for, right? Uh, but no. there's definitely something that that you were still putting out there in terms of like you were trying to put your work out there, you were finding new ways, which at the time were Behance was the new way of putting work out mm. there, right? It was in a way innovative and um, kind of new. Um, and it just brings me back to what you said in the very beginning, you know, this thing of like, try to get the most eyes on uh, the work that you're doing and um, have, keep on having interest in what you're doing and keep it ex experimental for yourself. And you were actually putting those bits of experimentation uh, with typography out there in novel ways or in new ways, right? So this is it. I hope you loved this episode. You can find me, the host of the show, on social networks at Martina Flor on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you have a question or comments, go to martinaflor.com slash podcast, where you can see previous episodes, find show notes, and send voice memos with your comments and questions. You can also watch these episodes on YouTube. Just go to martinaflor.com slash YouTube to find them. You can, of course, listen to all our episodes on your favorite podcast platform. If you loved this episode, subscribe to this podcast. And if you leave us a review, it will help others find us. Thank you all for listening and see you in the next episode of Martina Flores Open Studio. Bye-bye.